And, um, and, and, and my title today is called Good Theology. Simply, Good Theology. I don't even really like, really like the word theology, but this was the title that was in my heart. And it's going to be real, real, real simple. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 24, I've read this passage a couple of times in the last few weeks, but Paul is passing by um, and he's heading to Rome, and, and this is one of the last times he's going to be seeing these people that he's established churches in, and he says this in verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Hallelujah. The gospel of the grace of God. Man, that's powerful in itself, man. That's good news of the grace of God. I'm going to stop there just for a second. We're going to have an awesome Easter service. And I tell you what, bring your frenemies or whatever you want to call them. Bring Chris from work because we have got a great message for people who don't know that God is good. So, um, but, but the gospel, the good news of the grace of God... And in verse 25, he says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That's quite a system. That's quite a a word of knowledge, guys. This is it. You ain't going to see me again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Man, I, I, I could camp out on that. But I want to say that again very clearly. There's a lot of pet doctrines in the world today. And the, 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 the truth that Paul is saying, he says, I'm innocent of your blood, he says, because I did not, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And if you, if you follow the Gospels, you'll see that Paul, well, even though he was an incredible apostle and taught us, he brought the Gospel, he called it his Gospel, the Gospel of grace and faith righteousness was mostly a revelation of Paul's. It became Peter's, and it became John's, absolutely, and James. Even all of them had this gospel, but Paul had a revelation of it. But you know that that's not all Paul taught. We conveniently sort of erase chapters or leave chapters out where he tells on the conduct of a Christian and what Christians should be, what Christians should do, things like that. But that does not make us righteous. How you act and how you behave as a Christian Um, It does not make you righteous, does not create righteousness in you. But he taught it. He expected it. Do you know that Paul expelled people from the church of Corinth? He told people, let's hand them over to to Satan. This is the apostle of grace, people. And if you understand how good God is, you will always see, as as I often play around with my little Logos illustration, uh, What's this? I call it my Hoberman sphere over here, which I'll reach out and fetch it because it's always fun. I like playing with it. <laughs> the logos of God, the logic of God, His intention, every every piece of the Word of God you can see from. This is only three-dimensional object. God is multi multi-dimensional. We have no way of knowing how much God is dimensional. Like I said, Jesus appeared to 500 people in the same time. We can't conceive that that is impossible. But God, in His Logos and how He reveals Himself to us, is something that we, got, we, we expose ourselves to and we see things in the connection and, and the, from the paradigm or perspective that He gives us. So this, you may see Him from a certain perspective, and next week you may see Him from another perspective, or you may see Him from another perspective, or sometimes you may see it from a completely different paradigm. Whoa, you know, you know. But God, God is so much greater than us. But there are certain absolutes 
that we know about God. And that's the beautiful thing about as, as we proclaim about this. But he says, he speaks about the whole counsel of God. And so people want to, people, when you're determined to see things your way, you become blind to all the other truth. It's true. You know that, that the Jews were waiting for a, for a kingdom deliverer. The Pharisees were waiting for the Savior to come in and set up shop and kick the Romans out. He was going to be their champion. In fact, they tried to, you know that they tried to make Jesus king by force once. Didn't work. But they thought that that is what the Savior was going to do. He was going to come in riding on a white. And you see, that is a truth. They had picked out, because of their, their determined paradigm, they had only picked out one paradigm. He is going to come as the reigning king. He is ultimately going to set up shop in Jerusalem, and he is going to rule this earth, and that is going to happen. They didn't understand, though, but they were blind to all the other scriptures that talked about the suffering servant, that nobody was going to recognize. Isaiah 53, what he was going to, they could not see that piece. And because they were determined, no, this is what it's going to look like. There is only going to be a triumphant king. They were blind and they could not recognize Jesus in front of their faces. The living Logos who said, I am the word. The great word, the word of God that was in the beginning. The way, the truth, and the life who revealed the father. They, even the disciples couldn't understand him, see him for what he was. But that's why we have to be prepared. If we determine we're going we're gonna to connect with a multidimensional, way beyond our understanding, three and a half pound brain capability, we have got to understand we've got to receive these things of the truth of the word of God by faith. So when the whole counsel of God comes by, and Paul teaches on the whole counsel of God, that everything always is in true uh, equilibrium, if you want to call, with who he is. He will never... Uh, reject any one of his covenant names. He will never, for example, go against his love. No matter how you see Jesus, he is the definition of the love of God. He is the exact representation of the Father, he said to Philip. We're told in the book of Colossians, he is the precise image, the character of God. We see him. He is, this is how he was ultimately revealed. So when you see Jesus taking out a whip, that was the love of God. When you see him flipping, the table flipping Jesus, that was the love of God. When you see him with a woman caught in the act of adultery, that was the love of God. When you see him with the woman at the well who had had five other husbands and was living with one that wasn't currently her husband, and how he loved on her and gave her grace, that is the love of God. You see, we have to let go of our humanistic idea of what love is and learn to look at what, how God defines love in the Scripture. You and I don't have a right to define love. God defines love. He defines everything. So we have to be prepared, if we're going to call Jesus Lord, to release our paradigms and perspectives and take on the paradigm and perspective of the kingdom of God. And so, and so whole counsel of God, you should make a determination in your heart right now, whose counsel will you listen to? Even when you don't understand, if it comes from the word of God, not don't take my word for it. Check it out in the Word of God. But I don't understand this and this. I don't. Listen, the, the Word of God will never contradict itself. It doesn't contradict itself. In your mind, there will be passages that seem to contradict itself. There will be seeming contradictions that are paradoxes, and that we can make a whole message of just understanding continuums and paradoxes. 
Because there are things that, because they don't fit, they don't fit into our, we get confused. And then we say, oh, I, I just gonna, I'm just gonna, let me just delete that. Magic marker it out. Even if we, even if we don't, we kind of just kind of ignore those things. No, you can't. Please, you can't. Amen? So Paul says, I'm not, he says, I'm innocent of your blood. He says, because I've not, I'm declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Then verse 28, he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He bought the church. He bought you and I. Praise God. I know that, listen to this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Man, heads up, people. There is bad theology. And there's a lot of it. Who gets to determine what's good and bad? Absolutely. And what are you going to believe? Because how do you know that I'm teaching good theology? Theology. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to compare it. But what about, what about if Joshua walks in the door and he shows you a long list of doctrines? Shouldn't you listen to him? What happens if a shining bright angel with massive big wings, nine foot tall, stands here and performs miracles amongst you and then gives you a word? Who do you check it out by? The Bible says that in the last day will come deceptions, people committing miracles, performing miracles that will deceive many you know why? Because churchianity runs after power, not after the Word of God. Ooh, magic. Magic, cool things. Oh, nobody could do that. Blind eyes opened, deaf ears opened, the lame walked. It must be God. Really? Nope. The Word of God trumps it all. The character of God trumps it all. He says, he warns, there are, there are numerous passages that talk about how much bad theology is going to be in, the, in, the, in, in and around. In fact, I'm going to pull out some of them over here. Jesus warns of this. Matthew 7, verse 15, he says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Here we go again, that word. It's kind of here, it's like hungry wolves. They're going to look like sheep. You, by your vision, by your physical, uh, are not going to be able to tell them from the outside. Because inwardly, Jesus said, they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them, Jesus says, by their fruits or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Do you think Jesus is talking about miracles? No, I don't. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So ravenous wolves, Jesus warned, was coming. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Hmm. Honestly, I've come across some of these. And some of these are in churches we've all been to. 
But because you have the Spirit of God and because you lay hold of the Spirit of God, He is the teacher of the, tr- of the church, church. He is your teacher, and He will show you things. That's why the being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. You absolutely need to be full and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're not, there's always an opportunity, both here after the service, talking to one of our prayer, our awesome prayer ministers. Absolutely, we can. If you want to go and teach, study it out, there will be more opportunity to hear more about it. But you and I both, we all need the person and work of the Holy Spirit because He is the one that teaches us to abide in God, it says in 1 John chapter 2. The Spirit of God teaches us to remain and abide in Him. So he says there's teachings of demons, and I don't want to go into many of them. Some of them I've touched on before, but there are false doctrines. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. So there's these teachings. He's already mentioning some. Some people say you're not allowed to get married. Some people say that you have to avoid certain foods. I'm just reading the Bible here. Sorry if you're feeling... God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Amen. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. 2 Timothy chapter 3.13 While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. I'm telling you, deception is so deceitful because it happens by increments. We've spoken about this before, the mystery of iniquity. Anything that the Bible refers to as a mystery is by increments. It happens by indoctrination and by slowly, slowly, bit by bit. God's, God's infam- God, we grow in God bit by bit, and there's, a, there's this godliness works like that, but so does the mystery of iniquity. So does people, be deceptions. People start off, and then they just go a little bit off, and then they go a little bit more off, and a little bit more off. You've heard all those, those illustrations before, like pointing something just a micro degree off and where it goes. You see, but you and I have an onboard Holy Spirit gyroscope that is constantly going to be directing us. And it's Him that we've got to listen to, not the guy in the fancy suit or Shannon Carroll or anybody. You better check it out for yourself. It is absolutely essential that you get now do we have teachers in the church absolutely do we have pastors apostles prophets evangelists yes they are supposed to help us but ultimately the buck stops with you you have to guard your heart you have to persuade your heart you have to do all of those things that is you otherwise uh i don't know how to say that but it's it's dangerous it really is dangerous you are responsible it's, it, this, is, this is big stuff here, guys. So in 2 Timothy, I'm saying, I'm, next chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't endure it. They'll just leave that church who's giving sound, church, uh, sound teaching and find another church that tickles their ears. Oh, no, I don't want to hear about that full council stuff. I, I, I just, just, just tell me the stuff I like to hear. 
It's kind of like that drive-in church illustration. Have you seen that one? I think John Christ and a few other people, the you know, guy drives up with his car to the, I should have had that percued. And he's like at the drive-through speaker and he's like, um, I want a message that's uh, 25 minutes long and the worship that's not too like this and not too boisterous and not too slow and, you know, and, and a little and, and added extra with this and don't go heavy on the offering, please, or those kind of things, right? It's really quiet in this church. No, I'm just saying that it, they will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is prophesied. Now I'm reading you a bunch of scriptures. A number of, all of these are New Testament. Jesus warns it. They are ravenous wolves. These things are going to be, and these things are around right now. There are big name teachers that have got thousands and thousands of people in a church that I will not touch their books. And you will have to make that decision for yourself because I'm not going to put them in public. Amen. Come on. Yep, that's up to you. Psalm 31, verse 18. God, good theology is this. I love this. I, in the Old Testament, we see Psalm 31, verse 18. How abundant is your goodness. You have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in in the sight of the children of mankind. I love this. God, good theology <laughs> is this. God is good and the devil is bad. Amen. Catch that and you have a major plus your way. God is good and the devil is bad. Who defines what good and bad is? Your conscience? No, the Word of God. God is always good. You know, I, I love these scriptures that talk about the goodness of God because like this one again, I'm going to say, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who hear you? So, Jeremiah 31 verse 13 says this, then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the, old, and, and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Man, I tell you what, there is nothing as satisfying as God's goodness. Remember that woman at the well? And Jesus said, if you have the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. And she thought he was talking about physical water, and he said he wasn't, obviously. He's here it says what he, the goodness is. That's, it's, it's goodness that satisfies us. His goodness. Well, Shannon, what do you mean? Well, just let's carry on here. Verse 25 of Jeremiah says this. I will satisfy the weary soul, and every, every languishing soul I will replenish. In this famous piece, it's in the same chapter of Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Uh, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me and from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. Amen. Man, when we talk about the new covenant, I start getting excited because the old covenant of Moses has gone and passed away. 
The old covenant of the law has gone and passed away. And Jesus established an eternal new covenant. And that covenant is called the covenant of peace. And I'm going to touch on the covenant of peace next week because it is the gospel of peace, which is absolutely good news. I'll give you a hint. In Isaiah 54, it says that God will never be angry nor rebuke you again. It is good news, the covenant of peace. He says, I will forgive your iniquity and will remember your sins no more. Man, when we, get, when we unpack the new covenant and we understand what Jesus' blood and his body did for us and how he bought his, you know, paid for our redemption and ransomed us, all these fancy words, that ransomed us, that bought us our freedom and set us, gave us a, a whole righteousness from God, for free. Man, there is nothing better, but we'll carry on with that next week. I just get excited, sorry. But, but Moses uh, says this about the goodness of God. I love this passage of Scripture. Moses, Moses, it says, was called the friend of God in, in Exodus 33, 11. It says that the Lord used, uh, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. In Psalm 103, uh, in verse 7, it says this, about Moses, it says, which is fascinating to me. He said, he made known his ways to Moses, but his deeds or his acts to the people of Israel. You see, Israel didn't want to know, they didn't want a relationship. They wanted, give me, just, just tell me what to do. Do you know that Israel created law? It was the people who said, I don't want a relationship with this God. You just tell me what I should do and don't do. That doesn't work in relationship. I don't know how many of you figured that piece out yet. It doesn't work husband to wife or wife to husband or parent to child. It doesn't work. Relationship is an active, dynamic thing that constantly changes. But they didn't want to know God. But you see, Moses wanted to know God. And Moses got to know God and fellowship with him face to face. And, you know, we're invited because, I mean, religion has turned God into rules of do's and don'ts. Sanctimony, ritual, do this and don't do this. This is what the definition is. This is what it is. And try this, don't try this, do this, do this. Stand up, sit down, light the candle, don't light the candle. Pay your tithes or else or whatever. And we think that we can have this second party relationship with God through the pastor because he's saying this. You, we can't, right? Okay, so, so Moses, he, he says this, um, he breaks the first tablets. Many of you remember this story, but the first tablets that he, he takes up the mountain, spends a bunch of time with God. God writes the, on the tablets the Ten Commandments, and, and, and he comes down the mountain, and here the people are um, already, they just, they, I mean, there is a fascinating, I'm so tempted to go into covenants. I love covenant teaching. But, but I tell you, it's, what happens there, instantly they, they step out of the covenants of Abraham and they have the law. And Moses flips his lid, gets angry because they're worshiping a golden calf. He throws the tablets down, breaks them. And, and then, they, then God is about to like wipe out Israel and God and Moses have this, have this discussion. And anyhow, they, they, they come to them um, and Moses, the Lord says to Moses, the, uh, Moses says, listen, I, we need you. I need you. We need you. And then the Lord says to Moses this in verse 17, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name, says Moses, uh, says the Lord to Moses. And Moses says this in verse 18, please show me your glory. 
Now, we could speak for a long time on the glory of God. Because glory is not just shininess. I mean, you can go and study it in Greek, doxa. It is the bigger dictionaries you have. There is, an, there is an shininess. There is sometimes, that, but there, there are, there's much, many more definitions about the glory of God. And, 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 and we see this, but he, he wants to know what, show me your power. Show me who you are. I want to see the majesty. I want to see who you, what, what? I want to see how you see things. And then God says this to him, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. That's fascinating to me. The very glory of God, and God says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you my goodness. It's a simple truth. But the glory of God is so encapsulated in the word goodness that we can't even, we have to redefine the word goodness. We have to understand what the word goodness means, what God's goodness even means. And he says, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And then he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, gracious and show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. And so what, is his, what does his goodness look like? Well, in the very next chapter, when he goes, cuts out two new stones, goes up the mountain in obedience to the word of the Lord, and then, and then it says this, the Lord, in verse 5 of chapter 34 of Exodus, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So he is going to define, he says, I am going to tell you what my name is. And if you've heard me for very long, when you, what, the names of God are the very primary way God revealed himself to mankind. The very first way he could tell you this is who God is and this is who he isn't is by his names. He was never called the sick maker. He was never called the tragedy bringer. He was never called the Lord the destroyer. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Jehovah, Jehovah, or the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed or steadfast love, which is so deep, steadfast love or, yeah, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But then this piece is also there, which, which takes more time to explain, but I'll read it anyhow. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You see, what God defines, that's how God defines His goodness and His name. It's all in those two scriptures, those two passages there. He defines His goodness. That is what His goodness, He didn't say, here I am, I'm going to show you my goodness. I am good, I am good, I am good. No, he says, this is how it is. I will forgive, I will show you, for, I will forgive iniquity and, and all these things that he, that, he, that he claims over here. I'll be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Steadfast love to thousands. He carries on. That's what goodness looks like. Isn't that good? You know, Jesus comes in the New Testament, the image of the Logos, and he says this in John 10. He talks about him being the good shepherd. He says, in fact, he makes this statement twice in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I love that name of God. I love that name of God because 
because the good shepherd speaks volumes of what we're going to, what we're going to see. Even in, in, even in John 10, um, I, I'm trying to, to, to make this, to condense this for, for sake of time. But he, he talks in the, the, the very part. He says, um, My sheep, they, his sheep know his voice, and the stranger they will not follow. And then in verse 7, he says this, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He says, Those uh, who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, he says again. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, go in and out, and find pasture. Then, famous scripture, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Man. <coughs> Talk about the definition of God's goodness. The definition of his name. I am the good shepherd. And then it says this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you want to know who's doing bad in your life. Now, I've heard different people say, it's the devil. Yeah, it is. It is the devil. The devil's always going to be there to steal, kill, and destroy. If you see stealing, killing, destroying, guess who's behind it? That. And often, and then, then other people will teach this and they say, well, you know what? That's very indicative of religion. If you read this as well, there's religion is very, very similar. Yeah, well, I believe religion, if you, and I'm not, I'm distinguishing it from purely being believer, is about destruction. It is a tool of the enemy. I believe that religion is part of the great Babylon, actually, but we'll talk about that sometime when we get to Revelation. But he says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, kill and destroy. I have come that you can have life and have it more abundantly. Who put perisos? Not just over the top, but like over abundantly, exceedingly over the top kind of life, right? So God's, desire, God's plan is, is clearly distinguished there. God wants things gooder than you can imagine for your life. If you can imagine a good life or a gooder life, God's going to be behind that one. He's going to be, if you will just by trust Him, throw out all the crap, I'm oh, sorry, the, 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 the religion that you've got and, and tradition, go for whatever Jesus says because that's His motive. But stealing, killing, and destroying is not Him yet. Yet. It breaks my heart that behind any death or sudden tragedy, You'll get the religious people that will say, oh, God just needed another flower in heaven. No. 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 Heaven's no. Jesus and the God the Father is not the author of disease and sickness and death. He said that we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven doesn't have hospitals. Heaven doesn't have sickness or disease. His will is that we establish earth, and that there is so much more that we can go into there. But this is the good shepherd, and then it says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Of course, when you think of the word shepherd, right, you go straight to Psalm 23, and that's one of his covenant names. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rohi. He is my shepherd. And, and it's so powerful because when you look up the word, when you look up the word shepherd, it's, it's to pasture, to feed, to graze the sheep, to look after them, to guide, to protect them. That is, that is God's nature is revealed. If you just meditate on that and unpack that, that God, God is God. And then it goes then. Then he says, I shall, I will not want. 
or that word wants is I will I, I, he doesn't want you to lack anything let me tell you this if you're lacking something it's not God's desire to lack and if you immediately think well I want a red Mustang and an Xbox then then you are lacking something else because that is not that is that is not the fulfilling stuff stuff is not what you need when you find a relationship with God that that stuff isn't even going to be on your radar and I'm not saying that stuff is wrong don't take me wrong here I'm not talking about poverty and stuff like that no I'm just saying that when you know the character of God he is he's going to meet you he does not want you to lack if you have any lack in your life you're not doing it God's way because he will guide you. And it says in, in Psalm 23, if we had to take time and unpack Psalm 23, he's going to lead you and guide you beside still waters. He's going to take you into green pastures. He's going to restore your soul. That's his desire, to restore your soul. If you will just but follow his leading. If we will but just follow his leading. There'll be restoration for your soul. He will, even when things go awry and you have enemies all around you, which obviously happened to Jesus and Paul and Peter and will happen to you and I, he can set a table in the presence of our enemies. Beautiful, beautiful picture. And I love this piece. Surely, in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness, there it is again. Goodness and mercy are following me, walking right behind me right with me that means if i fall and ed always used to have that illustration when i fall i fall back into goodness and mercy his mercy is on you every morning they says as they reach to the heavens new every morning great is your faithfulness you go and study the psalms your love your said endures forever your mercy endures forever forever it doesn't get tired doesn't get it but his goodness is there his goodness is there his goodness is there in Titus chapter 3 verse 3 it says this for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out, us rich, out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, there is so much in there. The goodness and loving kindness of God appeared while we were hating one another. You see, God has always reached out to his enemies. And if you feel you're an enemy of God or God's got it in for you, I'm telling you, if you even feel like that, he doesn't. He loves you. And I'm going to give you another challenge. You see, if you think that somebody else is an enemy of God, guess what? God loves them. And guess who he's going to use to show it? If you will be an obedient little sweet child of God. Chris from work. You see, you and I need an encounter with the love of God that will totally change us. 
radically change us because we'll realize I have got never deserved love. This, this next revolution is going to be a love revolution. There's no question. I'm telling you, that's what is going to turn the world upside or right side up is when we receive the love of God and love unconditionally. That's what revival is going to look like. We're going to have such passionate love for one another that the world will know that we are His disciples. It's going to be radical. I can't wait. I can't wait because right now there is such a broken and divided and mean-spirited body that they are pointing their fingers and they are judging Him. They are exactly like the older brother. You know, that's, that passage, and I wasn't going to teach on it or touch on it, but that passage doesn't start with there was a prodigal son. There were two prodigal sons, actually. There was one that left, and there was one that was as mean as a snake. What would have happened if that prodigal son, when he came home, ran into the older brother? He wouldn't have made it home. And unfortunately, religion and religious people are stopping people from coming home to God because they do not know the goodness of God. They are not presenting the goodness of God. They do not understand the forgiveness of God. They are just like the older brother of the prodigal son. The older, and we, we are going to have a tremendous revelation of the love of God. We are going to lay hold of it. When you open your hearts to receive God's love in such a crazy, tangible, open way, and you just abandon your own ideas and just get the Word of God established on it, you are going to radically be, be, feel loved and understand that as undeserving as you are, Everybody else is around you. You're undeserving of his love. I'm undeserving of his love. Billy Graham was. Every one of us were enemies of God. And so is the world. Please, please don't make the mistake of expecting the world to act like a righteous person. They will sin and act according to their nature they will destroy and kill and murder and hate because that's all they're full of. They will not be able to come. You and I will have to love the unlovable, the hating. We will have to be able to be examples. And that's impossible to do in our own strength. You and I cannot do that. This is only going to be a love revolution. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not going to be because you've got this, you're going to have to conjure up this love. No, it's going to be a fruit of the Spirit within you. It is a fruit of the Spirit within you. It's love, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Romans 2, verse uh, 4, a famous scripture we often use, do you despise the richness, the richness, uh, this is in the King James Version, sorry, um, do you, I, I just like it because they, instead of the word kindness, which they interpret here in, in Romans 2, 4, it says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that, teach, that leads you to repentance? People, if we want the evil people to repent, we're going to have to give them the goodness of God. Just like you are loved no matter what. You can receive the goodness of God. And that teaches us to repent. And by repent, if I've got to just 
Remember, remember, repentance doesn't mean stop sinning. Repentance means changing your mind, metanoia. You have got to, you will change your mind about God when you know how good He is. That's what leads you to repentance. You need to study that, check that out. Study that out in your heart until it becomes, sets you on fire on the inside. You see, God, good theology will teach us that God is good. That's it. And He's exceedingly, abundantly better than you can currently comprehend. Evil and religion will teach and create. They will actually tell lies about God. They will actually paint a picture of the devil about God, that he is the one stealing, killing, and destroying. But everything about him is is good. And, And that's absolutely... You know, whether you're facing tragedy right now or you will face tragedy, get that truth, that simple truth, this simple truth established in your heart. Established. God is good. I've given you a bunch of scriptures today. You can go and check them out. You can download the podcast. You can, if you're a video watcher, you can get it on YouTube, whatever it is. But get the, the truth established in your heart. And, and we're going to carry on, on on this topic a little bit, but, but I tell you what, the more you expose yourself to the goodness of God, the more you're going to feel loved. We don't follow feelings. Feelings follow us. Amen. So when there is trouble, I can tell you God is not the author of this. We change our minds about Him. Amen. Amen. He is so, so good. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are good, and that in the midst of whatever tragedy we're facing, you are on standby, ready to respond. In fact, you're already closer than we can even imagine. You are closer than we can imagine, no matter what tragedy has befallen us. Is there any lack that you're experiencing? God is closer than He wants, than you can imagine. He wants to. Meet that lack more than you understand. If you think you might be a good parent and love your children, he's better. He is better. So Holy Spirit, we just surrender. As always, we just thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing a work in each of our hearts and lives. You are good. And Father, we will live to proclaim your name and declare that you are good and faithful and generous in everything you have taught us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you remind us of the words that Jesus spoke. And we will declare your word boldly. Thank you that your gospel is such immensely good news. If you haven't received Jesus or you're watching online and you haven't received Jesus, that's where it starts. Just, it's, it's not a magic prayer. It's a response to the truth. When you know and you hear how much he loves you, All you do is respond to that and say, Jesus, I want to know you. That's all. I'm telling you, here's the prayer of your heart. He means business when you mean business. He's always there for every single human being. He's not willing that any single one, any single one should not come into relationship with him. So just yield. Let him have his way in your heart and he will lead you on a journey and an adventure of life 
where he said, Come to me, all you will labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your soul. He is the good shepherd. He wants to steer you in your every decision. He wants to provide for you. We've got a cause, we've got a mission, we've got life, we've got so much to live for when we step into the kingdom. And you have a free invitation to step into his kingdom. So don't, I'll tell you if, you, if, you, if you're online, you can text the word prayer if you want somebody to pray with you, or we can send you some materials if you're here in the building. When we dismiss the service in a minute, please avail yourself to our prayer ministers. If you need other prayer, any other prayer, if you want to respond because you do not have the, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, with the, with, the, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I want to encourage you, lay hold of that. It is, it is not an optional extra. It is essential for Christian living. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Won't you stand with me for a second? I just encourage you, open your hands. You don't have to raise them up if you don't want to, but just at least open your hands like this. Just say, you can close your eyes. You can just say, Jesus, I want you. I want all that you have for me. I yield to that for which you have for me. Thank you for loving me. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Is that a prayer of your heart? Amen. Let's go.